whenever we moved here a, a little over a year ago, me and my wife with our, our three kids at the time, we, uh, we were really committed to meeting as many people as we possibly could. And it was nine days before the lockdowns and COVID. So we uh, got nine solid dinners and nine solid lunches, and then everything just kind of stopped. And so we didn't know what to do. So we painted our house and did all that boring stuff while we were trying to figure out what this whole deal was. But during those meetings, we always got uh, a pretty normal response from people. People were constantly trying to figure out, well, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of church is this going to be? And so there was pretty normal questions and people didn't, typically didn't come out right out and ask, but they were asking along the lines of, hey, are, are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you Methodist? Are you a particular kind of Methodist? Are you Wesleyan Methodist? Are you United Methodist? Are you, are you Baptist? Are you Presbyterian? Are you PCUSA? Are you PCA? Are you, uh, you know, mainline Great Commission Baptist? Are you Southern Baptist? Are you a Lutheran? Are you a Calvinist? What, what are you? What's going, what's going on? And you know, the number one thing I didn't say, I never said, oh, well, I'm, I'm the born again type. I'm the born again type. You wanna know why? Because what we see here in this passage is to say that I'm a born again Christian is a redundancy. It's something, it's repetitive. There's no way that you can be a Christian without being born again. And you're not, you're not, uh, you're not born again unless you are a Christian. It's, you don't have to say those two things, but yet they have infiltrated our culture, have they not? And it's always something that is kind of derogatory. It's like, oh, he's one of those born-again types or she's one of those born-again types. But what we see here in this passage today, that the, uh, the, the essence of the new birth, you cannot separate it for, from being a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus means that you are born again. It is not a type of Christian. It is not a, a denominational preference. It is not anything like that. It is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It is the centerpiece of all that Jesus has been building up to up to this point here in the Gospel of John. And I know this is a very sensitive topic because we love our team Jesus stuff, um, but let's dive into the, the, the really key element of what it means to just be a follower, to be a disciple, which means... Uh, we need to define what it means to be born again. So uh, this is where we're going. Why must we be born again in order to be a Christian? What does it mean for us to be born again? And how do we know that we have been born again? That's where we're going today. So why, what, and how do we know that we've been born again? Let's start off, shall we? Right, right from the jump. Why must we be born again? Well, Jesus uh, repeats himself over and over and over again to Nicodemus. Verse three, look what it says. Unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. You won't have eyes to even see what's going on. In verse five, it says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so uh, you can't enter it. And then he says, finally, right, right at the end of it, he says, verse seven, do not marvel for you must be born again. These three, these three things, he says it over and over again. And so let's point out something that's really important. Who is he talking to? Who is Jesus talking to that he is emphasizing the new birth? Who, does it, who is this man that really needs to understand and know what it means to be a follower of God himself? 
To belong to his family means to enter into this new birth thing. Well, it was a member of the Pharisee class. It was Nicodemus. And if you have watched The Chosen at all, now let me just go ahead and preface this. Um, my Christian like cheese radar, like cheesy radar is really, really high. So if you have not watched The Chosen and you're like, you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna get sucked into one of those Christianese, like really cheesy, poorly made, uh, poorly made films or poorly pr- produced uh, Jesus films. This is not one of those. It is actually excellent. Um, it is absolutely excellent. And so I encourage you, I encourage you go home, Binge watch, if you're gonna binge watch anything, which is a, a normal thing within our culture, please just binge watch uh, The Chosen, season one and season two. They're both excellent. But there is a scene here where Nicodemus comes and it, it really encapsulates our, our entire sermon uh, today, or our sermon text today really, really well. And it, it, gives, it gives a lot of backstory in the, in the Chosen about who Nicodemus was. If Nicodemus was here today, He would have been the most coveted church member in all of Wichita Falls. Nicodemus had more degrees up on his wall from theology schools than a thermometer. He had PhD after PhD. Everyone respected him. He was a member of the council, so he was civic-minded. He was wealthy. Uh, He he belonged to, he was advanced in years, so he was wise. Everyone looked up to this man. And Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he was, and he says, hey, all those things, all those degrees up on your wall, they ain't good enough, Nicodemus. All all your theological know-how, all your respect that you have in the marketplace, everywhere you go, people wanting you to come to their table, people wanting you to preside over their uh, Shabbat dinner, people wanting you to preside over the Passover, all, all this accolade that you have built up forever and ever and ever, over the course of your lifetime, it means nothing. Nicodemus, you, you, The best of the best must be born again. That's pretty significant, right? Nicodemus had to start all the way over. Unless there is air, there is no fire. Unless there is water, there is is no crops. Uh, I don't know if about you, but whenever Stephanie and I like entered into the pandemic, we immediately just thought, okay, I guess we're farmers now. I guess this is just what you do. And uh, we went and bought wood and we made raised bed, um, you know, gardens and stuff. We're like, we'll just do, we'll just start with one. We'll just start with one and um, we'll grow, what should we grow? And so we bought all the seeds and we just kind of threw them in there. And uh, we're just like, whatever comes up, I don't know. Yeah, we'll just see. And um, turns out we weren't committed to how much water this actually needed. So some things grew, some things didn't. Um, and the things that needed very little water, those are the things that thrived and flourished within our uh, garden. And the things that uh, needed lots and lots of water, you know what, our watermelons didn't really make it. We had one little bitty, little bitty guy and apparently it needed a whole lot more water. Uh, I say all that because things need things in order to grow. And what Jesus is, Jesus, what is, what is he saying? You want to belong to me? You want to, you want to know what it means to have a relationship with God? The only way you can have that, the only way you can enter in is if you're born again. That's it. That's it. And our culture tells us, you know what? I'm okay with Christianity, but I don't really want you to be fanatical about it. 
I'm okay with your Christianity. Just don't press it on anyone. I'm okay with your Christianity, but just kind of keep it to yourself. Don't bring it into my school. Don't bring it into uh, the public domain. Don't bring it into work. Keep it to yourself. Keep it within your church or within your gym walls or within the YMCA or whatever. Just keep it to yourself and we are good. Bill Maher, who is uh, kind of a, a secular social commentator, he, he uh, um, has a show uh, on HBO, I believe, and he talks about this and he's very, very anti-Christian. He says, why don't you Christians just shut up and keep everything to yourselves and be a little bit more progressive and less dogmatic and definitely don't be one of those born again types and I have no problem with you. I have no problem with you. And uh, I saw this interesting, uh, back in late August, Harvard said, you know what, we're done, we're done. Sorry, I I think this is uh, somewhat your alma mater, but, uh, Harvard went ahead and came out and said, you know what? Our chaplain for our entire university is going to be an atheist. An atheist chaplain. That's what our world wants. Wants someone that, hey, you can do your whole religious thing, but uh, we just don't want you to be really, really serious about it. That's what secularism does. That's what our culture is trying to teach us to do. It's trying to teach us, hey, you can have your religious section. You can have this religious compartment in your life, but don't let it infiltrate the rest of, rest of us. Don't let it affect anything else that's going on. Don't let it change anything that's going on within our, Christian, within our culture, okay? And that's all secularism does. It creates a... It creates a Christianity that has secularism at the center of it and not actually Christianity or Christ or anything at the center of it whatsoever. Now, you might be thinking, Cody, we don't really live. This is the Bible Belt. We don't really live. Um, That whole secularism, that's for Harvard and that's for HBO and that's for, how's this this doing? I'm hearing some feedback. Is that hitting y'all like a freight train? All right, Lord, help. Uh, if, uh, if it keeps on popping, we will, we will switch, okay? So um, are you tracking with me? Like we're, we're in the Bible Belt and we might not be like necessarily really punch hard in the face with kind of a secular worldview right now. But uh, I was a youth pastor uh, in my early 20s and uh, here in the Bible Belt, and I'll tell you what uh, our youth are, or at least uh, in the mid uh, 2010s, I guess that's how you say it, we're really, really struggling with. We weren't full-blown secular, but uh, because the Christian culture had kind of um, infiltrated the social imagination of everyone's hearts, they were like, hey, I know what I need to be doing. I know what it means to follow Jesus. I was raised in the church or whatever, but I also want to be Lord of my own life. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes Teenagers were like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to put on a good face on Sunday and Wednesday during my Bible studies, and then I'm gonna live however I want at school. I'm gonna live this double life primarily. So my parents think I'm this way over here, and then my friends see me as this way over here, and then my teachers kind of see kind of like the, the morphing of those two lives right there. And all I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to balance all the guilt that I'm feeling of trying to, put on a show as if I'm walking with Jesus over here and then try to be as cool or pursue whatever I want to pursue over here. And you know what that does? It riddles a generation with shame and guilt, even though 
even though they don't really know how to express it. And so I had kid after kid after kid broken, absolutely broken in my office saying, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't live this double life. It's, it's like I'm being ripped apart at the seams. It's like, I'm, it's like I, I can't, I, I don't even know who I am because I, I have this multiple personality disorder. And guess what? That's what, that's what trying to live a Christian moral life does to you whenever you're actually trying to be your own God over here. When you're actually trying to pursue the, uh, the things that m- make you happy and you happy alone, and yet trying to save face over here, there's this, there's this separation of our humanity whenever we are serving multiple things, depending on who's, who's in our immediate proximity. Why bring, why bring any of this up? Why bring any of this up? Because if those that are struggling with guilt, and I, 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 I just know people, and I know there's, there's gotta be some people in this room that are in the same category as a normal teenager. Maybe decades ago, you got caught up in a, in a Jesus movement of sorts that said, hey, I'm following Jesus from this point on. And you realize that there's been no power and yet there's been some people that have fallen away and you're trying to save face over here, but you are living this double life even to this day to where you're trying to, follow, trying to follow Jesus on Sunday, but you're trying to get away to Colorado to eat edibles uh, on the weekend or to do something else to where you are living this other lifestyle and you're, you're tearing apart at the seams. I know, I know, just because I know folks and I've had too many, too many meetings in, my, uh, in an office somewhere where people have just said, I've had enough, I've had enough. I don't know if this Christianity thing is even true. Listen, if that's you, if that's you, you and Nicodemus are in the exact same position. Because Nicodemus, the best of the best of the best, the PhD in theology, the one that knows all all the words, transubstantiation and uh, propitiation and and regeneration, has a great, very clear definition of all of those things. If that's you or if you're the person that has been teared tore apart at the seams in this Christian uh, pseudo-culture that you're trying to balance constantly, y'all both need to be born again. And that's what Jesus is calling you to. The, 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 The response is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. No one is too far gone in this room. No one is too far gone. It is good news that Jesus looks at the best and says, you need to be born again because that means everyone below him, the prescription is the exact same. You must be born again as well. You and Nicodemus are in the exact same place. So that's why you need to be born again because that's what it means to be Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. You need the new birth. Okay, so what is the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? Well, let's look at what Nicodemus says in verse two. He goes to Jesus late at night because he doesn't wanna go during the day because someone might um, actually think that he's one of those crazy followers of this wilderness preacher, right? And he says, rabbi, which means teacher. We know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. God is with him. So what Nicodemus is doing is he's looking at Jesus and he says, hey, there's something about you. I know that you're different. You're doing things that no one else can do unless God himself is actually with him. And then Jesus does something really interesting, right? 
He kind of cuts him off. Why does he cut him off? Why would he just kind of stop him abruptly? Because we learned last week that Jesus knows what's going on in every single human heart. And what I think is going on right here is, is Jesus knew that Nicodemus was coming to him. How? How did he address him? As a rabbi. And Jesus is saying, wait, 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 wait. I know that you're a scholar. I know that you're someone that it, wants to have every single theological T crossed and every theological I dotted. And you're coming to me as a new teacher who has some power behind his words. And listen, I haven't come here to be a teacher for you. I haven't come here to teach you to be more moral. I haven't come here to teach you to, uh, a, a new way to understand how to follow the 10 commandments a little bit better. And so he knew, he knew, he knew what Nicodemus was going through. He knew what Nicodemus was coming to him as, as just a teacher. And he says, listen, I am a form of a teacher, but that is not the main thing that I want you to get. That is not the main thing that I need you to get. I need you to understand that you must be absolutely born again. You need to be born completely again. You don't need to be reformed by a new set of teaching. You need to be transformed from the inside out. So, so many of us in the Bible Belt, what's, what's the person that's over here uh, that's really, really struggling with, you know, I live my life over here, but on Sunday I'm putting on this good show. What are they struggling with? They're saying, I, it's so hard for me to follow all these rules. It's so hard for me to, in my heart, actually want to do the good church thing. That's what I'm struggling with. And Jesus says, if that's why you're coming to me, to try to figure out, to try to figure out how to follow the rules a little bit better, to get these things down in your heart, to get all your theological T's crossed and all your the theological I's dotted, then you're coming to me for the wrong reason and I can't help you. I can't help you. That's what Jesus is trying to say right here. Because he is saying, you have to be transformed. You have to be uprooted. You can't even see the kingdom of God at all. You, you can't even have eyes to see what God is doing in the world at all unless you are born again. You can't enter in to what Jesus is usher, ushering into this world unless you have been born again. This is the root of the matter. There is no way, there is no way that you can enter into what God is doing unless he uproots you from the things that you have been pursuing all your life and he establishes something completely new within you within you. Now, during this time that uh, we were trying to do all the, the, planting, the planting and stuff, um, I think we'll get that figured out maybe next week. <laughs> um, during, the, during the time that we we're trying to learn to be farmers and all that stuff, that uh, we we're being awesome. We also have like this raised bed in front of our house, right to the left of our door. And so we thought, hey, we're watering out here. Why don't we plant some really good, nice flowers out here? And um, we weren't watering back there. The flowers in the front were getting way, like three times the neglect as the, the, flower, as the, the farm in the back. And so they were really, really struggling. And multiple times over the course of uh, living in this new house, Stephanie has been like, hey, I think I want new flowers. And so um, can we fix that? You know, can we get them? Because they're just dead and it's just basically a weed up here that is, that is growing. So I had a couple of options. I had a couple of options here, right? Of how to get things to grow. I've heard that, you know, that pruning really helps. Pruning, you know, what that means is cutting back some of the extra stuff to kind of give uh, extra space for some sunlight and from extra growth of the really healthy things. So I could have pruned the flowers and, you know, try to 
uh, try to help them that way, even though they were all like burnt to the crisp and really they were just there for the fire. And that's the only thing that they were good for. Uh, or, or I could have done this. And I actually thought about this multiple times is I could have bought flowers from Market Street or from Walmart or something. And I could have just stapled them onto the, uh, you know, just the, the, the existing flowers because she, she might've said, you know, like uh, we have these daisies up here. I want roses. And so I could have got some roses and they just stapled the roses onto the daisies. And, and that might've been, uh, might been an option, right? I mean, that, could've, that could've worked. And I, kn- I know that's silly. I know that's silly, but I think, uh, I think there's something to it. I think there's something to it that we need to understand that we're a lot of times, whenever we uh, get this idea that, oh man, you know what? I wanna be closer to God. I, I feel like uh, I, I need to get things together with um, this Jesus. Maybe I've been drifting for a while. Let me turn over a new theological leaf, uh, 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 leaf or something like that. You know, um, what do you do? Well, you're just like, well, I'm, I've always heard I need to read the Bible more, so let me read the Bible more. And I've always heard I need to pray, so maybe um, make a little prayer closet with some candles or something like that, and maybe put a beanbag in there so it doesn't hurt my knees too bad. You know, I want to be comfortable while I'm praying. And, and um, you know, maybe I'll go to church there for uh, a little bit and try to, try to get a little streak going at church. And so I'll go not ch- just two weeks in a row, I'll go three weeks in a row, maybe even six weeks in a row, and I'll try, try to do all this stuff. And well, what, what is that actually doing? What is that doing? That's just pruning. That's just pruning. What are you doing? You're just cutting back a little bit of your freedom in life and you're trying to say, maybe this will fix the problem. Maybe this will fix the problem of my heart. If I just double down in my self-discipline, if I just double down on the things that I know that I should be doing, then maybe I'll be close to God, right? Right? Or maybe I can take things that I've seen from other places and apply them to my life. And so this person over here reads the Bible in 90 days. Maybe that's the golden ticket. What is that? That's just taking a rose from someone else's garden and stapling into the garden of your own life and say, maybe if I do what they do, then I'll be as beautiful as they are. Right? It's kind of the exact same thing that we constantly do. It's like, oh, I just, I just need, some, I need some pointers. What does it mean for me to really belong to God? Well, it means don't prune and don't steal from other people because the gospel, being born again, doesn't mean that you have more moral reformation, more obedience. It does not mean that. It means being born again means that the new birth is an act of God that happens through the Holy Spirit, through faith in the gospel that implants itself deep in the core foundation of who you are, deep into your heart that the gospel takes root at the foundation, the core of who you are. And then you don't have to think, well, how can I follow a little bit better? How can I read the Bible on a streak? Or how can I pray a little bit better? Then whenever the gospel takes root in your heart, these things start growing naturally. There's supernatural growth that happens. You can't, you can't take things from other people's lives back in the past, or maybe a neighbor's, or maybe a roommate, or maybe a spouse. You cannot live someone else's spiritual life. You need it to take deep root in your own life. And this is something that is only done through faith and what the Spirit is doing through the proclamation of the gospel. You want organic, real, natural fruit growing up out of your heart not a staple here or a prune back over here. That's what it means to be born again. You know what happened to Nicodemus? 
He says, you can't even see the kingdom. You can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again. Being born again, you know what it means? Seeing the king. Actually seeing Jesus as Lord of all. Seeing Jesus as Lord of all. Uh, I don't know if that was the spirit emphasizing that moment. All right. Do you see the king? Have you seen the king? Do you know what it means to walk with him as Lord and as Savior, as ruler of your own life? Because right here, Jesus knew that he hadn't been born again. But then something really interesting happened to Nicodemus in his life. Now we're going to finish up this uh, chapter here in the next couple of weeks. But I think it's interesting to see that in verse 9 of chapter 3, it says, Nicodemus said to Jesus after he told him all these things, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, you are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus asked him, asked him, do you not see? Do you not see what's going on? Do you not see that you have to be born again, that it doesn't, uh, that all your moral reformation won't, won't get you right before God. You have a heart of stone, Nicodemus. You need a heart of flesh. And what's crazy about all of this is we see Nicodemus later on in the gospel of John. In John chapter 19, right after Jesus uh, died, died on the cross, it, it mentions two figures, Joseph of Arimathea and this guy, Nicodemus. You know what Nicodemus did, I'll just read it to you. It's in John chapter 19, verse 39. It says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds in weight. Scholars say that that, that that amount of myrrhs and aloes were for a king's burial. What happened in Nicodemus's life? He saw, he saw Jesus as king. And it transformed everything about him. Jesus is now, he's now the king of Nicodemus's life. And before he was scared, that's why he went to him by night. And now when everyone had fled away from Jesus and everyone ran away out of fear of persecution, Nicodemus walked up and said, give me that body. He's the body of the king, the Messiah, the ruler of all that is. Nicodemus had been uprooted and he had been replanted. He went from being just a seeker. He went to being a a follower. Nicodemus saw Jesus as the king. And I've been in ministry long enough to know that there's so many people, so many people that are caught up in church. You've been caught up in a movement of saying, oh man, this is cool over here. Or a lot of friends that are nice to me are kind of inviting me to come to this thing over here. So yeah, I'm Christian. I'm one of y'all. I'm with y'all. Jesus is rabbi, right? He's a good rabbi. He's a good teacher. He's a good, he's a good foundational teacher. He's something that I need to know and understand. But what happened in Nicodemus' life is Jesus went from being a rabbi to the Lord. He went from being the rabbi to the Lord. And so uh, I think a lot of times in the Bible Belt, uh, there's a transformation that happens whenever we all can say Jesus is Lord. But sometimes we say Jesus is Lord like my kids, whenever they respond to me after a discipline, and they say, how do you respond with honor? I ask them, how do you respond with honor? And they say, yes, sir, yes, sir. You know, like, um, like are they really trying to honor me with like the, their heart posture right there? They're like, no, I just know that this is what I gotta do to get out of this discipline and uncomfortable situation, right? And so they say, they say this, they say, yes, sir. And then there's a total, totally different um, 
time that sometimes they come to me and they just, I tell them, hey, sir. One time they're actually showing me honor and the other time they're just doing what they know that they have to do. And I think so many times here in the Bible Belt, we say, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, John 3, 16. Um, Jesus uh, has to be in control of our lives. He, he's doing all these things in, in the world, right? Because, because we're American, we're Wichitans. Um, we're in the Bible Belt, this is what we do, Jesus is King. And we don't actually have the real heart posture. We've just been swept up in this movement. Let me give an example from the Bible that is so, so showing. The 12 disciples, right? Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, whenever he was um, doing the, the Lord's Supper, he's, he's, he predicted, Jesus predicted, hey, one of you is gonna betray me. And look at what it says in verse 20. It says, and when it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12, all 12 of his disciples. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Surely it's not I, Lord, with tears and with sobbing, one, two, three, all the way up to 11. And then it got to Judas. And look what he says, verse 25. And Judas, who betrayed him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? You see the difference there? In the 11, the heart of all these disciples were, you're my Lord, you're my master, you're my king. I, you have made me new, I am born again. I see you as the king. That's what it means to be born again, is seeing Jesus as the king on the throne with a plan, charting everything that you're doing in this life. You see him as king. Or do you just see him the way Judas did, who was very close to him, was one of the tribe, was in, was in the inner circle of Jesus, right? You can't get much closer to Jesus than Judas did. And he just says, you know what? Jesus is a good rabbi. He's a great man. He's a wonderful historical world changer. He's amazing. He's amazing. But yet he's not Lord of your life. Not Lord of your life. Those that have... Uh, the new birth within them, they're always gonna be confusing to those that don't have the new birth within them. These are the people that are radically generous, radically generous where everyone else looks around them and just say, what, what, hey, why'd you do that? Um, isn't, it, isn't it good to like, hey, Dave Ramsey, this thing, right? You can be Dave Ramsey in it and all day, every day, right? I, I don't know how important it is to be giving away just so liberally right here. Uh, uh, what, what are you doing? See, those that are born again know that he became, um, he became poor for us so that we, through his poverty, might become rich and just say, we, we can't help, can't help. We, we just give, and it, and it doesn't matter how much we give. We give our time. We give up our comforts. So so many of, so many of us that are just kind of caught up in following Jesus as a rabbi will just say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to follow Jesus to where, to where it make me uncomfortable. What, what, what more do you want from me? I got the gospel community, I got the grow group, I got the Sunday, what, what more do you want, Cody? See, someone that's been born again just says, what, what, what more can we give? What more can we give? And so there's a radical heart difference between those. And you might be wondering in this room, all your life you've been like, what's up with, what's up with that one? That one's a little bit more radical than everyone, everyone else. They're not perfect, not perfect, but they, they talk about Jesus in a different way in a way that's never actually sparked 
sparked deep in my, in my heart. They spend their time with people a little bit differently than I spend my time. They spend their time with people that don't, that don't really make a whole, uh, doesn't mean really make a whole lot of sense of who I'd wanna spend my time with on a Saturday afternoon or on a Friday night. Why, w- why would they go so far to spend some time that don't, with people that don't think like them, look like them, or dare I gasp, vote the same way, <laughs> right? But the born again types, those born againers, you just say, I, I don't even get it. Why are you pouring out your life so, so, so freely? For the, sake of, for the sake of other people. See, those that are in this room that are born again, they're just like, well, how can we not? How can we not do it? Jesus gave everything up for us. So what, what does it mean for me to follow him? It means for me to give everything up for him. It's the only thing that makes sense to those that are born again. And yet those that are not born again, they will constantly be wondering how much more, how much more do I have to give to this church? How much more do I have to give to this people? How much uncomfortable do I have to try to get? See the difference? See the difference in what's going on? You say, well, I I, I can commit to this, this, and that, but no more. That's just pruning. That's just pruning. That's just you cutting back in your life a little bit at a time instead of just saying, what what more can I give? What more can I I, um, give to my Lord who loves me and gave himself for me. So how can we know that we're born again? One, look at those tests. Look at those tests. Is you, is, are you ultimately in charge of your life? Do you, are you just cutting back a little bit to appease the church crowd? Or are you all in saying, what can I do for the Lord? What, what more does he want, want from me? Because that, that, that is a test of what it means to be born again. So Jesus... Jesus responds to Nicodemus this way in verse eight. He gives the perfect example. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The word in Hebrew, spirit and wind is the exact same word. And so Jesus talking to this Bible scholar right here, he's just like, hey, you know, being born of the spirit, right? It's like the wind. It's like, it's the exact same thing. So it gives the perfect example of the mystery of the wind. And Nicodemus knew exactly what he was getting at. He he knew that you you can't see the wind. The wind is invisible, but you can see the effects of the wind. So if I was in here and I said, oh man, what a big gust of wind we have in this gym, right? Really windy in here. And he said, Cody, no, it's not windy. I was like, how do you know? The wind's invisible. We are like... Cody, we can see its effects. The, the curtains would be down on the ground, you know, fallen somewhere. Uh, your, hair would be, your hair would be blowing or, or this, everything would be moving and, and the bulletins would be everywhere. All throughout the room, if there's a big gust of wind that all of, a sudden, all of a sudden came and Jesus is like, well, exactly, exactly. There's so many people, there's so many people that say that they've had a born again experience And yet, this is direct, but listen, yet the wind of God has never moved anything in their life. Has the wind of God moved something in your life to where you can see the effects of the power of God? Because so many of us, so many of us, this is the danger of us growing up in church. This is the danger. If you're in this room and you've grown up in church, this is the danger of you growing up in the church is you've been caught up in this movement at some point 
to where you, you were told, hey, raise your hand at Vacation Bible School if you wanna follow Jesus right now. And you raise your hand or you're at a college Bible study and, 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 and everyone just said, hey, we're following Jesus. You, don't you wanna be following Jesus? And you're like, yeah, I wanna be hanging out with you guys, totally. Or you're at the youth group revival and it was awesome and it was emotional and you started crying. Or you went through a confirmation class to commit to, to following Jesus and you look somewhere in the past and you say, look, I have this new birth card. I have this new birth assurance from this experience that I had in the past. And yet the power, the wind of God has never affected the clothes on your body, has never affected the hairs on your head, hasn't moved you at all. My dear friends, do you think that's what it means to be born again? As if you've had decades of saying, I have this assurance in the past and yet it's never affected you and you've wondered for decades, why are there so many crazy Christians out there and why do I feel like I can never measure up? Dear friends, it might be because you have not been born again. And I know this is not a popular thing to preach in, in the Bible Belt, but this is what our text is trying to emphasize today. You must be born again. So how? How can we be born again? John chapter one, verse 12. He says it right from the very beginning. He says, but, all to who, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. Do you see, do you see yourself believing in Jesus? And are you receiving the faith that comes through the gospel? Listen, listen. One of my professors said this, and it was so powerful. The only thing you need to come to Jesus with is nothing. And most of us don't have that. Most of us come to Jesus with our gifts. Most of us come to Jesus with our baggage. Most of us come to Jesus with saying, you better fix this. You better fix this. And I will give you my worship if you fix this. The only way you can be born again is if you come to him and you receive everything that he has for you with open, empty arms. This is what it means to be born again, to receive him. Do you know that you need him? Meditate on this. Run to him. Beg God. Go into the closet that you could never, never get yourself into week in and week out. Go into that closet and say, God, I am a sinner and I have nothing to offer. I know that you are not going to save me based on my own merit or by my own works. I am throwing myself on the mercy of God. Have you done that? Have you done that? Because only then, only then with empty hands can you be born again. Dear friends, dear friends, has this penetrated your heart? Because I think there's some of us in this room that know halfway through this sermon, you're like, I don't know. I hope he stops talking about this because it's making me, me very uncomfortable because I'm the guy that's living the double life. I'm the woman that's living the double life. I've been caught up in a movement, but never been born again. I'm confused by those radical Christians. I'm confused by those born againers. Get on your knees, meditate on this, beg him to come in. And he's so kind and he's so gracious that he will, that he will. But, but it has to happen between you and him. This isn't something that you can, you don't show up. You don't show up to the pearly gates as husband and wife. You don't show up to the, to the pearly gates with your family all intact. You show up 
Are you born again? Are you a citizen of the king? Have you surrendered it all to him? And if that's, that's you and you're like, man, that's the first time I've heard this and the Holy Spirit's beginning to convict you right now, I encourage you, what's your first response? Your first response is to tell someone and then it's to be baptized. That Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations and then baptize them. So if you know, if you know, I have never been regenerated and I don't even, and maybe I did something in the past whenever I was caught up in the movement, but now I am following after him. I would encourage you, I would encourage you, don't wait, don't wait. Say, I'm going all in with Jesus. I'm gonna obey, I'm going to obey him in every single little detail that he commands because that's what it means to be born again. You know, you know what it means to be born again? It means for the first time in your life, you say, Lord, command me and I will obey. Command me and I will obey. Has that happened to you? Or are you like me? To where the number one thing that I hated growing up in church is that Jesus was in charge of my life and I had to obey him. But whenever I was born again as a 19-year-old man, young man, I said, Lord, command me. Whatever you have to say, I will do. I will do. That's what it means to be born again. Say, fall at the feet of Jesus and say, command me. Whatever you have for me, I will do. My prayer, my prayer is that that truth penetrates your heart through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.